0: welcome to the vaccination station my name is dave and today i'm speaking with gabriella welcome to the show
1: Hi, hi, Dave. Uh, nice to nice to meeting you. Uh, thank you for having me on the show.
0: My pleasure. Let's start by getting to know you. Can you tell me three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting?
1: All right. Um, I am. My name is Gabriela. Uh, I have a, a YouTube channel. is called Amateur YouTuber: A Little Bit of Everything, where I do where I do a little bit of everything, but mostly reactions uh, to anime, food, uh, shows that I, that I like. I just started these uh, recently. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm doing so far. I'm, uh, I'm Italian. I'm based in Italy right now, but I'm also half uh, South American from Ecuador from my mother's side. So, an interesting thing is that I, I re entry Italy not long ago. So I, I've had the chance uh, to leave the pandemic in both continents, meaning uh, South America and right now Europe. And, and that, that's what I can tell you about myself. I study political science and international relations. I was uh, working in uh, quality assurance uh, for the past years, but uh, pretty much uh, it is slowed down with the pandemic. And then I'm just being a consultant and running my YouTube channel, which is uh, not so big at the moment, but I'm really enjoying being, being busy with, the, with that. And, and, and yeah, it's what I do for the moment.
0: That's really great. So where did you study political science?
1: I, I graduated in Ecuador. I, I, I lived there for, for many years, so I, I went to the university there.
0: So what are your qualifications specifically? Is it about is it a bachelor degree?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a bachelor's degree in political science and international relations.
0: And where do you anticipate your qualifications taking you in the future?
1: Well, right now I'm working on a on a master degree. I am um, I'm, I'm studying uh, uh, management, uh, communication management. So I'm trying to to blend my bachelor degree with the, this this uh, master degree in terms of, because I think that nowadays uh, communication is, is really sensitive and is really important. Mostly we are speaking about geopolitics, diplomacy. So I would like uh, to to be able to communicate these uh, sensitive uh, subjects uh, in, a, in a really proper way because I consider it's important. So that's, that's the reason why I'm uh, trying to develop my, my career in this, in this area.
0: That's, that's really interesting. Um, so you mentioned that you are a consultant, you're working as a consultant at the moment. What does that involve?
1: Well, I'm uh, I'm doing a little bit uh, of uh, of quality assurance. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm I'm still working with uh, one of the companies that I I was working in in Ecuador because we had uh, like good good relations, and I'm um, I'm working for them. Uh, I did that in the quality assurance because it's, it's more like office kind of work, <laughs> and then uh, also Brian uh, I'm I'm consulting in terms of. Uh, um, marketing uh, social network uh, that's that's why I'm, I'm specializing my my master in uh, manage, uh, communication management uh, because yeah I would like to to be to take that direction and I'm trying to do freelance uh, writing so I'm, I'm doing a, a lot right now I mean in, in, in a, not in a big uh, in a big uh, amount but uh, I'm busy with some some small projects.
0: Well, that's really terrific. So, let's get to the main theme then, which is uh, vaccines. Tell me about your personal experience with vaccines. Are you fully vaccinated?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I'm fully vaccinated, uh, and yeah, my experience in uh, with the vaccine was, uh, I think it was really good. I, I, it was better than I expected. Um, I had uh, an appointment. I was. Uh, plan of the, of the government vaccination plan. Uh, so they give me an appointment. And uh, since I'm under 30, uh, the, the appointment was planned to, to happen at the end of August, but uh, the authorities decide to to speed things up. It's not that I cut in the line to anyone, but they made uh, open days in, in Italy where you could uh, book an appointment and, and get the, the vaccination process uh, before your your original appointment. So I did that way. Uh, it was uh, really nice, really well organized. I took my first dose and then they appointed me for the for the second dose and and yeah I didn't have any any trouble I was uh, thinking that there was going to be hard I was a little bit of scared but I, I besides the pain in my arm I didn't feel anything strange.
0: And uh, which vaccine which COVID nineteen vaccine did you receive I I received uh, Pfizer I've I had two doses of Pfizer but I understand Moderna and AstraZeneca are more common in Europe is that the case.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, AstraZeneca and, and Moderna are, are also one of the, the vaccines that you can get in Italy. It was uh, when you make these open days, uh, the, you can get uh, either Pfizer, AstraZeneca or Moderna, and you are really able to decide. It will depend on the open day and whatever the, the medical personnel has, has available. But I get Pfizer. Yeah, I, they, I got vaccinated with Pfizer and the second dose was, was Pfizer.
0: Yeah, I noticed that the second dose definitely felt different to the first one. The, the first one I had, I just didn't notice anything at all um, aside from you know the brief pain in my arm that went in about a day. The second dose, I had a bit of fatigue for about a day and a half and my arm was a lot more sore I had difficulty sort of raising it above my shoulder for about two days, and then that passed, and that was basically it. I didn't have anything else, so uh, that was a really good experience. No no real side effects and, and no problems with it at all. I know some other people, some friends of mine who had Pfizer, found the second dose made them feel a bit nauseous, and they felt a bit sick for a day or two, uh, but I, I didn't have any of that. I was very fortunate.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I feel the same way. I, I didn't have any, any side effect that really that was really uh, annoying or difficult for me to overcome. Just the, the pain that I think is normal in, in the arm. Uh, it was stronger with the first dose. Then with the second dose, I was just a little bit sleepy. And, uh, and after a got a nap, I was uh, completely fine.
0: Where does your family stand on on the issue of vaccines? Are they pro-vax like you?
1: Yeah, yeah, man. my My family, all of them, are fully vaccinated. My sister, my my parents, uh, uh, all of them are vaccinated. They made uh, because they 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 couldn't travel, so they are in uh, in South America. And uh, they've been vaccinated with, uh, with uh, not with Pfizer. Uh, I think they got uh, uh, other vaccines, but, but they, they are fine. They didn't have any complications at all. Uh, so yeah, they are pro-vaccines, uh, not because uh, with the situation of the res- travel restrictions, they want to get vaccinated uh, so they can travel. It's not only for that, <laughs> I mean, that is a reason. But they—they they actually, my 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 dad, the, he's always uh, been considering that the vaccine is uh, comes with a high effort of professional medical teams and doctors and scientists that uh, really are trying to see a way out for for this uh, COVID nineteen pandemic. So getting vaccinated is uh, is one step for doing that. So they, yeah, they are pro vaccine.
0: Yeah, in Australia. Um... We're waiting to see if the government is going to move to vaccine passports soon, which will be a relief because I think it was at about March last year, our government closed our international borders. So no one has been able to leave the country unless they have been granted an exception. And exceptions are pretty hard to get. It has to be very compelling, say, reason for business or, or... politics, maybe you're a politician and you have some kind of, you know, um need to go overseas for something. And occasionally there's been exceptions granted on compassionate grounds, but certainly no holidays or or anything. Um I was scheduled to speak in Tennessee this year uh, at a Christian conference and I had to withdraw from that because the um the government still hasn't opened our border yet. So we are waiting to see whether we'll move to vaccine passports and that will actually allow some of us to, to get out. So, yeah, we're all going a bit stir-crazy here. The government has opened up a travel bubble with New Zealand because they, they're managing the pandemic very well. And, of course, they're um, one of our closest neighbours. So we can go to New Zealand, back and forth between New Zealand if, if we want to. But for the rest of us, for a lot of people like myself who have friends and and relatives in the uk and and europe and and america that's really where we want to go but we we can't at the moment so yeah we've had you know lockdowns in various parts of the country um of varying severity severity levels of severity south australia at the moment we're on a level four footing um so things are reasonably strict here uh, but overall, I think we've been managing the pandemic very well. We've still had fewer than 1,000 deaths in a population of 26 million, so I think we've been we've been doing well. Our vaccine rollout has been very slow. I think we've only got about 20% of the country um, covered with their first dose, but we we will get there, and it will accelerate. Thankfully, also we have a very high uh, vaccination rate in Australia. Our average vaccination rate across the country is maybe around the ninety-five percent mark for 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 scheduled childhood vaccines. So the anti-vax movement here is very very small, very vocal, but very small and very weak, and both sides of politics here in Australia from the conservative and the liberal are strongly pro-vax and push that message at, at a, uh, at a government level. So that's been extremely good. Um, so I think overall Australia is coping well, but we've had some recent breakouts in, in New South Wales, and that's overflowed a bit into Victoria. So we're worried about case numbers rising. Um, hopefully as our vaccination rate increases with um with Pfizer and AstraZeneca being rolled out here, we'll we'll keep a lid on that and um, eventually move towards a, a situation where we've we've achieved herd immunity. The government has set a target of eighty percent, an eighty percent vaccination rate for for um, herd immunity. So it'll be interesting to see how how soon we have reach that because the sooner we reach that, the sooner we can we can go back to normal.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: Have you ever known anyone who has died from a vaccine-preventable disease or maybe been permanently harmed by a, a vaccine-preventable disease?
1: I mean, I, did, I, I, I haven't known anyone like personal, you know, in a personal level, someone close, uh, close to me or, 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 or that, that I was able to, to, to know them exactly. But uh, you know, I've uh, been in South America. There are a lot of uh, diseases, and all over the world. But in South America, uh, there are diseases from mosquitoes that uh, they need to have a, a vaccination plan, where where annual uh, vaccination plan in order to prevent that. And for example, in, in countries like Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, you can you can have high rates of of, of kids of children that will die uh, for from Chickenpox if they are not uh, fully vaccinated. Also, the rates in even in Europe uh, now in Italy for HPV, for example, uh, women that suffer from uh, cervical cancer that, that are also diseases, final stages of diseases that could be prevented with uh, with a proper vaccination plan. Uh, diphtheria, polio, polio was uh, polio in, in in Europe also was uh, in the in the eighties. It was a, a really Great issues. So, without the vaccination plan, I mean, a lot of people could uh, could die in uh, in, a, in a in a really higher level.
0: Yeah, I, I have a an Italian friend in Western Australia who's um, a generation or two older than me, and he caught polio as as a child, and he was permanently disabled by it. He he can walk, but he needs crutches to walk because his his legs were damaged, and to me just talking with Mario um, and, you know, hearing his experiences is it's like a window into another world because polio is just not something we have to worry about now today in, in, yeah. in the modern world. It's, it's been, you know, pretty much eradicated from most Western nations. Um, but it makes me realize why it was such a feared disease like back in the, Say twenties, uh, thirties, and forties before a vaccine was introduced, especially with young children, because once you'd caught it at a, at a young age, it would impact your life permanently. There was there was there wasn't a thing that you could get over or recover from or or find a a way to to cure. There was once you had it, and and it damaged you. That was it. There was there was nothing you could do, and your life was changed forever. So to talk to someone like Mario, um, it's a very sobering experience because it makes me realize just how incredibly privileged we are today. And it's one of the reasons why the anti-vax community really frustrates and and angers me because the only reason are able to sort of convince people that we don't need vaccines is because vaccines have eliminated so many of the diseases that everyone sort of used to take for granted and now everyone takes for for granted that we don't have those diseases and they've come to think that maybe vaccines weren't necessary after all which is a sort of a bitter irony that vaccines have become a victim of their own success but it's the older generations who know and experience these diseases who will be able to say no Vaccines got us to where we are today. You have no idea what it was like in previous generations when, for us, we took for granted that we would catch these diseases, we would suffer life-altering harm from these diseases. And the fact that you can take for granted that you won't catch these diseases is all due to vaccination. So anti-vaxxers are benefiting from the herd immunity provided by vaccines, whilst at the same time, Arguing that they don't need the vaccines in the first place—it's a—it's a bitter irony.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I do understand what, uh, what what you are saying, and it's something that really, for me, it's uh, difficult to understand uh, the position for for the current uh, for the yeah the new generations. Uh, once upon a time, uh, you will die, or you there was no way back, and having the opportunity to have a medical treatment, a vaccine, uh, or even medicine. Uh, people were really grateful for that, for having this opportunity. It was a life-saving saving situation, as I said. But right now, I believe that people either la, uh, lost uh, the, the faith or the, or the confidence in, in medicine or just uh, lacks fear to the diseases or the, and the threats. It's like we, we live in a world where daily we can see People that is not afraid about risk, potential risks and, and hazards that are there are tangible. You can see them. But the thing is that we are not scared anymore.
0: Yeah, it's a bit like saying, uh, you know, we we don't get cholera anymore. We don't have big cholera outbreaks anymore. So we don't need a sewage system. Well, a sewage system is one of the main reasons we don't have cholera anymore. You know, it was, um, it was in the... Um, the late 19th century in, in London Where the connection was made between drinking water And the transmission of cholera And uh, uh, a local cholera outbreak in London Was traced to a public water pump that everyone was using And once that was identified as as the source It was able to be isolated And the, out, the outbreak was stopped in its tracks And then um, around that time London... Did a massive upgrade of its infrastructure and introduced a sewage system, which inc- just it was a, an incredible breakthrough and cleaned up the streets and boosted public health phenomenally. And all of a sudden, cholera just started dying out all over the place. It just wasn't there anymore because the, the transmission um, access wasn't there. The vectors weren't there. So it's a bit like saying we don't need sewage systems anymore because we don't have cholera. Well, it's putting the cart before the horse. The reason we don't have cholera is because of the sewage system. So yes, exactly. Yeah, pe- people sort of forget that you know back in those days, dying of of typhoid or or cholera was uh, pretty much an an everyday occurrence for a lot of a lot of generations. Yeah. So, yes. uh, uh, do you feel that attitudes towards vaccines? have changed over the past few generations.
1: Yes, yes of course as as I said before I believe that uh, these generations new generations they they are not afraid to to the potential risk to diseases anymore to the exposure to a virus to to something that can hurt you or harm you somehow so is this lack of fear that the one that uh, in my opinion the one that uh, makes you feel like you you have your own superpowers and you can you can overcome uh, any kind of disease and you don't need science anymore and we don't need medical teams anymore and we don't need medicine anymore because we are absolutely fine and that's something that has been been growing uh, day by day with new generations. If I go to the past and tell my grandmother about about uh, not being vaccinated uh, tell her that about uh, that polio was not real that cholera was not real or go to my parents and tell them that uh, the the housing that almost died with chickenpox was not real it was it wasn't necessary to have a vaccination plan for for that disease they they are not going to to understand this it, it, it for them is a completely different reality they had to live and to overcome these diseases uh, with the vaccination plan, like hoping that there was a, a an, an invention that can save their lives.
0: Yeah, it's it's been uh, very interesting. Um, the pandemic, of course, has shaken this up a lot. Vaccine hesitancy in Australia, which was already very low, vaccine hesitancy was around maybe 18% has fallen even further throughout the pandemic. Vaccine hesitancy is down just under 10% now in Australia. So um, although there is a lot of denial still out there, there's a lot more examples and cases uh, in the media of people who refused the vaccine, caught the virus and either died for it or came close to dying and have now realized, hey, that was pretty stupid. I should have got the vaccine. we're also seeing, of course, in populations where the vaccine is being administered, the, the disease is being curbed. And you know, notwithstanding the occasional breakthrough case where the vaccine isn't entirely effective or uh, maybe the Delta strain has infiltrated the local population and the vaccine has been less effective against that, notwithstanding that, we're seeing a real-life, real-time example of how vaccination works to eliminate and and restrict disease. And it's getting increasingly difficult, I think now, for anti-vaxxers to argue against that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that, uh, I think the same. And it's also something that we we need to clarify is that uh, we are never saying, and nobody has ever said that uh, Getting the vaccination is going to to make you hundred percent immune. It's that they are giving you the chances or continue living, like not to die from the virus, not to die from from the disease. And you, we need to to separate that. That is not that we are not going to get sick, and and that's that's the discourse. Uh, why why I'm going to get vaccinated if I'm still going to get uh, COVID? And the truth is that, uh, of course, maybe. Me that I'm fully vaccinated, I, I'm still I still have a high chance uh, to 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 get infected by the virus, but my possibilities of dying or making uh, or having to go to to intensive care units are are, are really are really low. So that's that's the, the difference. That there's something that we need to separate and understand.
0: Have you ever met someone who was opposed to vaccination?
1: Personally, like not, not someone close to me, but uh, the other day I saw a protest uh, near to my house and there were like uh, 5,000 people. They were walking around the city center and they were like, uh, they, they, they were really no backs. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I saw them. I, I, don't, I don't know them personally, but, but, but I know they are like kind of a strong group and, and they are not doing the, the vaccine.
0: What do you think are some of the main reasons why people refuse vaccination?
1: Well, uh, first of all, is, uh, is, uh, there are a lot of uh, theories. <laughs> there are a lot of, of, of things that, that people tend to believe uh, lately. Uh, one is that they, they don't want to be goat meat in terms that they, they feel that they are under an experiment, a government experiment, and they are trying to, to make some tests on their bodies. And the other one is that they think that the virus doesn't exist or they don't need the vaccination because the, the body can overcome uh, the virus uh, by, by itself. Also, there there are crazy theories uh, such as having a nano chip implanted in your arm so the government can uh, spy on you uh, and among other stuff. But but if we put this together, all all these causes, all these uh, theories, uh, the main main thing is fear. They are afraid. They are afraid uh, to something unknown. They are afraid about uh, having really strong side effects that uh, can cause their lives and uh, and of course they are afraid because there will always be a percentage or a risk that uh, that percentage on, on anything we do on any and any medicine even food whatever we do in life there is this potential risk of, uh, of failure of, of dying and and people is afraid and and we don't want to be that percentage but nobody wants <laughs> so so it is not that we can control who is going to to, to, have to suffer from really strong side effects and who is not. It's more, it's, it's more of luck. It's more of how our how 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 bodies are going to respond. But the thing in common that all the people that doesn't want to get the vaccine is fear. They, they are afraid. And I personally cannot judge them because fear is a really valid feeling and a valid position and when you are scared There is no rational or logical explanation that sometimes can get you, can help you get rid of those, those feelings.
0: Those are all really good points. So building on that, what advice would you give to someone who is on the fence about vaccines, but wants more information about their safety and effectiveness?
1: Well, my advice uh, would be that uh, it's been uh, two years. <laughs> it's been a long, a long time since uh, the world has stopped, and we are not able to to live our lives normally. And there is always a risk uh, when in whatever that we are doing. And uh, this vaccine comes uh, as a result of uh, many people that are burning their eyelashes uh, day at night, trying to. To develop something that is going to turn the world into normal again, so the, I, I understand that we are in a in, in the dark. But uh, being vaccinated vaccinated is is a step uh, a, a, a one step uh, closer to to restoring the world as as it as it was before. To being able to do things. Uh, freely, More freely, we need to be responsible. Of course, we need to be responsible because uh, vaccine doesn't mean uh, 100% coverage. It just helped you to to prevent uh, deaths and to prevent uh, horrible scenarios as a consequence of the of the of the diseases. But uh, having this is hope. I mean, uh, knowing that uh, something that is really dangerous and killed millions of uh, people and, and, and you, you are given the possibility not to die from this. I think is hope. And if you are in doubt, maybe you should reconsider that because we need, we need to, to put the, the normality running again.
0: I was impressed that in one of your recent reaction videos, you urged people to get the COVID-19 vaccine. You, you said that you'd received it yourself. And you encourage your viewers to to get vaccinated as well. Uh, that's interesting because normally people running reaction channels are there for to provide entertainment, and they want to keep things fairly light. And you know, and uh, They prefer not to stray onto serious topics because that sort of, you know, gets the mood down a bit and detracts from the entertainment value. But you had no qualms about introducing this very serious issue and and making a point of mentioning it uh, before your reaction at the start of your video. What motivated you to do this? And do you think it's something that, that more people should be doing?
1: Okay. Um, like having having a YouTube channel, I, I do understand that it doesn't allow me or put me on the position where I should be encouraging or forcing anyone to, to get vaccinated. But at the end of the day, I did it. And I did it because uh, I received my, my vaccination and I felt relief. I felt relief in a way in which uh, I felt that uh, we were, as I said, we were closer to, to having our, uh, our lives uh, back to normal again. So for me, when, when I'm scared, this works for me, when I'm scared having a friendly face that, uh, that is going to, to tell me that it's going to be okay and they, they, they went through the same thing that I'm, I'm, I'm going to, to go through, it's, uh, it's really calming and, and it's really assuring my position that I want, I want to do that. Of course, I will never uh, uh, encourage or say anything that I've, that I've never tried myself. I, I won't say that, I won't do that to my, to my viewers, never. So I did it. I took the vaccine and I felt, as I said, relief. And I want to spread that feeling, to spread that feeling of, of hope uh, behind uh, this, this process. So I, I don't know if I will encourage a, anyone like that has a YouTube channel to do that, because maybe it was very personal, but I, but I already did. So it will depend on, uh, on the person, on the, on the, on the people that are there, whatever they, they consider is the, the, the good thing to do uh, is, is a personal decision that I took.
0: I follow quite a few YouTube channels and uh, a lot of reaction channels and you're the only reaction channel that I've seen where someone has actually encouraged people to take the vaccine. I've obviously I've I follow other channels that do commentaries on on science and social and political issues and plenty of them have have mentioned vaccination the importance of it and that kind of thing but that you would expect them to to do so but it's it's not something you would normally see in a in a more lighthearted sort of social um, channel so I was impressed to see that and and that brings me to uh, to the issue of social media in general because it's played a very significant role uh, in discussions about vaccines and in particular the pandemic itself over the last 18 months. What kind of messaging trends have you witnessed during this period? What kind of, what kind of sort of main themes have you seen coming out on social media?
1: Well, uh, lately or during these uh, years of pandemic, we know that everything is digitalized. We have even the president uh, making the speeches or informing the, the, the people through their Instagram account or through their uh, Twitter so social media is, is really the, 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 the thing right now. And the campaigns sometimes uh, are, I mean, you can deliver information in a, in a really, not, I don't know if effective, in a fast way. You, you do it immediately so you can reach a lot of people in a in a really short amount of time but i don't know if that's uh, that's the good to that that's the way to go i am really unsure of that because uh, social media can lead to really misinterpretation and miscommunication and misunderstanding and uh, and in social media we don't have uh, sometimes of objectivity it's uh it's something that comes to us, uh, as 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 a result of a personal experience or something that we heard in another, from another person or from another social media account or, or, or however. But it's not always the official information, it's not always the, the more objective uh, information and, and sometimes it's kind of dangerous so uh, how i feel about social media i feel like users and people have to be very careful with uh, what they are doing what they are saying what they are listening to and how they are spending the time in social media
0: yeah these are are very good points because social media is a very uh, it's a very organic medium it adjusts to its audience very rapidly mainly because it is governed by algorithms that feed the audience more of what they want to see and hear and as a result of that it's easy to get trapped in a little bubble of the message only the message you want to hear and not necessarily the kind of message you need to hear so if you get trapped in a bubble where the The algorithm is consistently referring you to bad information or exposing you to misinformation about vaccines or or the virus or or any other significant issue. And you start to see more and more of that. You, You will begin to feel that that is actually a prevailing view, if not the prevailing view, and that these ideas have more credibility than they really do when in fact you're just witnessing a tiny, tiny little percentage of the broader social media signal out there, and you don't realise just how small and insignificant this message is in relation to the wider message, which is the more accurate message about about vaccines and, and, say, the pandemic. So you become exposed to a very narrow band of information And because it's constantly fed to you by the the algorithm, it can be difficult to find your way out of that, especially if it's reinforcing views that you already have or, or you've been trending towards for some time. So social media tells you what you want to hear, and it's geared to do that again and again and again it's not always very good at introducing you to new ideas that could potentially break the cycle. And that is a a trap, I think, that social media platforms are still working on and have yet to properly address because their entire um, monetization system works on getting views, on getting clicks. And whatever gets clicks and views is what drives the money. But that doesn't say anything about the quality of the content that is driving those clicks and views. And ideally, it should be in, in the context of, say, uh, health and, and science, it should be good, solid, reliable content that gets clicks and views and bad content that's either filtered out or uh, demonetized and and that kind of thing, so that its exposure and its reach is negligible. But unfortunately, we still haven't seen that. Some social media platforms are starting starting to take some serious action, but still there are big channels and and big Facebook pages and and big social media platforms like Twitter that still have a ton of misinformation on them uh, that is driving a huge amount of traffic because it's what people want to see more of and the system is allowing them to do that. So that is uh, a significant problem. I think that social media still has to deal with. And one of the reasons why social media companies are reluctant to get too much into this is because of course, all those clicks and views drive monetization. They drive advertising revenue. The The millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars even in advertising revenue is is pushed very hard by large pipelines of of information. And the quality of of that information is irrelevant. As long as it's getting clicks and views, it will drive the monetization. And that's where the social media platforms have to make a serious decision to lose some revenue in the interests of the public good. And that's a difficult one for them to come to grips with, I think, unfortunately. So do you believe that people with a significant audience on social media have a responsibility to speak on issues of public health during a public health crisis like this one?
1: Yes, yes, yes I do. I, I do believe that not only like uh, influence people in social media, everyone, but of course that we are talking about uh, a people with a lot of, uh, of viewers that has a direct contact with uh, with the public. Yes, I think that they should be responsible of what they are sharing in social media and also their their, their, their position. I, I feel like they have to deliver uh, accurate uh, information and confirm information uh, with the, they have to everything has to be uh, true at least uh, at least not false <laughs> but uh, but the veracity on their content is is really important. I do feel bad for for the people that is uh, that has a really really public uh, position because sometimes they are un- un- unable to to express their their own perspective of their own position, because wh- whatever they do, either they support or they don't support, they are going to get attacked. So they are also in a position where their personal beliefs are sometimes, uh, or either they should keep it private or they should uh, do what the majority wants to, wants to hear. With the, what that puts uh, a lot of, uh, influence uh, people in in a really hard position but the but the the truth is that we are we we can choose uh, or people that would influence people can choose either to speak or not to speak but if we speak then we should be responsible for what we are saying and we have to be prepared for whatever is going to come and and this responsibility means that maybe our position is not going to be what whatever uh, what other people is going to to think but there are a lot of people that are going to hear us so so at least be precise and objective and not lie to people with something that we we have not done ourselves
0: i think that uh a very well expressed and and well rounded view. You've 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 touched on points of responsibility, but also the way some people are maybe not restricted, but uh, compromised or or feel vulnerable as a result of of their position or their profile, and it may not be as easy for them to speak out as as we think. There may be other constraints on them, but yes, I certainly agree with you that anyone with a significant social media following does have responsibilities to speak out and ensure that the accuracy uh, that the the information they're disseminating is is accurate and and helpful rather than simply uh, you know regurgitating the chain email that they got from their aunt or or the the viral twitter post that they happened to see the other day or or the random facebook post that they thought looked really interesting and they shared without thinking much about it I, and of course what i say is significant i don't mean you know, small channels with you know under a hundred thousand. Um, I I mean, big channels on YouTube with hundred thousand plus, or large Facebook pages, or people on Twitter or Instagram, where with, with a significant following, and particularly yes. people who are public figures, who course, that who people listen to, regardless of their qualifications in a particular field. There are plenty of social media figures that people will listen to just because they are social media figures and not because they have any relevant qualifications in the subject that they're discussing or the field they're making points about, whether it's vaccination or some other aspect of public health. And I really do think that is important because social media has a very powerful effect on shaping public opinion today and it's one of the first things that people turn to every day for now for their news for their for their um updates on current social and political issues and and to find out the latest trends and and uh opinions on uh, on the latest big topic issues so i definitely feel that the responsibility is there and and some sort of um some sort of more serious punitive measures need to be taken when those platforms are abused in ways that are not conducive to the public good.
1: Yes, yes, yes. I do agree with you. Like, uh, I mean, if uh, if you are in a small channel or you are just uh, an individual, I mean, you still have to be responsible for of, of, of what you are doing or saying but uh, massive concurrence of people uh, like having a really, a really big voice comes with a really big responsibility. And, and yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a joke that, that people can arrive uh, to, to a lot of, of heads or to a lot of, of, of persons. It's uh, what you are saying, what they are saying, everything has a consequence. So, so it's important to have to be clear that uh, yeah, these big channels or these uh, public figures, they should be really, really careful and uh, and accountable for for, they, uh, for for their social media or whatever they are doing on a regular basis.
0: So, how was the pandemic being handled in Italy? What kind of measures, apart from vaccination, what kind of measures have been used over the past uh, eighteen months?
1: Well, uh, lockdown, the, the lockdown was uh, one of the, the, the main things that, that, that happened in here, not, just, not having a curfew uh, that, uh, that was uh, first of all, it was at, at 11 and it was reduced and it started at 9pm. Um, so then you could, you could go outside uh, wearing masks, uh, then you couldn't go outside. Then you could go to the to the supermarkets. Uh, then you could go, but just yourself, not with anyone else. So you can you, don't, you you were not able to go with your family. And then in public spaces, you were encouraged to use still the mask. Uh, you were not available to have dinner or either lunch or a co- or, or a coffee inside the restaurants, disregard if, if there was a uh, public distancing or no. They were they could uh, they could sell they could stay open, but just for takeaway or or or, or delivery. Uh, gyms pools. Uh, a lot of things were closed. Are, uh, for example, uh, clubs and uh, and 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 then, and then the pools in the the pools in the in the gyms they will remain uh, closed. Even that right now the the measures are are, are a little bit light uh, and and you cannot feel like so trapped like it was it was before. But yeah, Italy had uh, a lot of cases. <laughs> I, I, we know that uh, Italy was really. Bad in, in this situation, and, and the whole Europe was really bad. Uh, flights were, were banned. Uh, it, it was, I wasn't able, my, my parents were, were unable to come. My relatives in the United States were unable to come. I wasn't able to go anywhere. And even internally, we, you, you, cannot, uh, you couldn't even take a train inside, uh, inside, from inside the country, just remain in your region um so it it was like this and they had this uh, i I was I'm calling it like traffic light uh, mode because they are they were they have in red uh, red zones uh, then orange zones and then um a yellow zone and green zone depending on how the the cases were were moving or or, or if they were increasing or if they were not but the truth is that for the past year um We've been pretty much in, 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 in orange zone. It's not that we, we've been like freely walking on the street or going to have dinner in a restaurant. It's been pretty restrictive until, uh, until April, uh, at the end of April uh, with the summer and highest temperatures and the vaccination plan already on, things are, are better. But yeah, it's, it's, it's the story of, of Italy uh, that I could live so far.
0: I understand Italy, like a few European countries, has a, an aging population. So you, I noticed that there were a lot of deaths early on in the older generations. And uh, as with other countries like um, like the UK, there were lots of concerns about nursing homes and levels of restrictions in nursing homes and whether or not they'd been introduced fast enough because uh, um, a lot of older people... Um, did actually die as a result of of contracting the disease has has any any sort of significant mm-hmm. policy change been made around nursing homes I, I know some 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 changes have been made here in australia to uh, to tighten up regulations i'm pretty sure the uk did the same thing they tried to isolate um nursing homes and old people's homes as, as much as possible to reduce the risk of of further contamination and and you know, particularly between staff and uh visitors and staff and and um visitors and residents um so what was there a similar situation there in italy
1: well um yes uh, we do have uh, a lot of elder people uh um in europe most most of the, of the europe uh, is not because uh our in um, older other people like uh they they've been really hit uh, with with the virus and, and the deaths are, are are really sad and uncomfortable, But uh, but that yes, uh, nursing homes were one of the of the saddest stories because uh, being isolated, they were not they were not able to to receive visitors uh, unless the visitors were like strictly. Permitted with uh, with a, with a PCR test, uh, with a, with a COVID test, uh, and and they were not available to, to to leave the nursing home, and then uh, and so it was sad and it was painful and and it was really unfair. I feel because um, I mean right now uh, pretty much everyone. Uh, unless the, the people that voluntarily doesn't want to get vaccinated, but uh, in Italy, at least the, the people that is over 60, uh, the campaign was uh, directly, uh, they started with them, with people over 60 and uh, over 80s, over 70s, old old people were back vaccinated at first, so so they can just be safe at the, at, the, at the earliest possible. So yeah, with the nursing homes, it was a little bit of a difficult because the personal working there, most uh, not all not all of them uh, were were vaccinated but but yeah medical professionals they 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 enter on this category so at least they could do the work and and they could take care of the of the people in of the, the the patients on the on the nursing homes and the hospitals and, and everything
0: and what percentage of italy's population has been vaccinated against covid-19 so far do you know
1: yeah, so far, I mean, uh, for what I check in Italy, the 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 fully vaccinated, the full, the number of fully vaccinated people from all ages, uh, it was the the twenty six percent, twenty the twenty three or the twenty six percent. I'm I'm quite sure about this right now, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a big number. <laughs> it is it's a big number in terms of of. Uh, of the time and, and how, how the things are being uh, for, for Italians, having a lot of people away from Italy. Of course, it's, it's having people outside Italy does, does, does change a lot and not being unable to, to be in here. Also, you cannot follow up with their vaccination plan in, 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 in foreign countries, but they are moving things so like fast. They, they have to deal with the percentage of people that they they don't want to get the vaccine. And of course, there are there are the the under thirties and the under twenties that that are really acceptable of, uh, of the of the of the vaccine, but pre, but I but I think for uh, elder people, uh, I don't have the, the exact number, but but they are pretty pretty much uh, almost fully vaccinated. and uh, uh, the, the ones that, that are that are pro pro vaccination.
0: That sounds really good. I, yeah, I'm not sure what the percentage of um, of uh, the population is in Italy that's been fully or, or partially vaccinated so far, but it, it should be pretty high by now because uh, your rollout started a lot earlier than ours. Um, also, like most European countries, you've got less land to cover. It's, it's, it's much easier, whereas uh, I live in a country that's three times the size of Western Europe, so we've got significant logistical issues with getting the vaccine out to different parts of the country. We have people who live in remote rural areas with uh, farms that are thousands of hectares. And that means you need uh, a decent supply chain, good logistics chain to ensure that the vaccines get to where they need to go without getting spoiled along the way. So yeah, we, we have our own challenges here. We have a much smaller population, but we have, vast distances to to cover that of course presents its own unique challenges well thank you so much for spending this time with me gabriella i've thoroughly enjoyed it if people want to follow you on on social media where can they find you
1: oh they can find me on my youtube channel that is a a amateur youtuber and a little bit of everything so there, there will be, I don't have any other social media that related to, to, the, to my YouTube channel. And yeah, it's been, been great to, to have this interview with, uh, with you. I, I really appreciate uh, you inviting me and what you are doing here in your podcast, which is, I think, uh, a really a really good cause and and having this discussion with uh with a lot of people uh disregard they, they are um social social media related or doctors or or medical personnel i think that having the opinion from from people from uh, from a lot of uh, a lot of positions and and sectors uh, it makes uh, this the podcast really really good because you can have a general perspective of what is going on lately so Thank you very much for making me part of this.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate that.